It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash-on-cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Alex Olson. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Alex, he is an expert in the complex subject of 1031 exchange and helps in-state and out-of-state investors maximize their 1031 exchange transactions and avoid capital gains taxes through identifying cash-flowing deals, developing a trusted team, and ensuring that their 1031 exchange money is secure. Alex, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, man. You know, this is the first time uh, we kind of wrapped about this a little bit before, um, but this is the first time we've had to talk about the 1031 exchange on the show. So love that we're going to be able to dive into this topic. So before we get into that, let's kick this thing off by hearing more about you, man. So tell us more about your background, your story, and your current focus. Yeah. So I actually, my main focus before I got into real estate was I was in consumer finance and marketing, had a degree in graphic design, essentially, and in a minor in economics, kind of two different fields there, but um, really fell in love with the finance aspect of of the world. Uh, not necessarily, you know, business finance, but just the financing. And part of that was how that all came about, where I got into real estate was we, my wife and I built our dream house. I was at a job for 15, 16 years before I switched. But before that, we built our dream house and you know, learned a lot about financing, right? Like how, how do you actually finance these deals? Now, sure, I bought real estate before, but this is a house we built from the ground up. So there's a lot of construction loans involved. And we did an amazing job on building it uh, on budget. And the value of our house was worth a lot more after it was completed than what it cost us. So we took out a large line of credit and then ended up buying investment property with that. I felt like I had a pretty good knack for knowing what would be a good investment in the multifamily space. And um, so I did that way before I was a real estate agent and, uh, you know, bought a fiveplex, a duplex, a couple houses, turned those houses into Airbnbs, um, and then kind of lost my, my, or, well, before I lost my butt in the Airbnb world, uh, I met a mentor. And how I met this mentor was I'm a cold calling machine. And so I was calling on him, trying to figure out if he's going to sell this property to me. He had it listed and didn't want to sell it. I told him I was going to turn it into an Airbnb. And he's like, man, you're, you're pretty persistent. We should probably meet up. It's like, okay, sure. You know, let's meet up. So met up with him and he's like, you need to go out and get your real estate license. You're pretty good at, you know, knowing what's a good place and you're pretty good at 
numbers and all these other things. I said, yeah, but there's no way I'm going to go and do single family home residential real estate stuff. So no, no, no. Develop a niche in the multifamily space. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, no, seriously, I think you're really good at it. I've been looking for a new W-2 job or a new job for 15 years. You know, I got this job and it was great and fine. They kept promoting me, but still always looking. I was an entrepreneur at heart. So how do I right. get out of the W-2 world? So I, I, anything I take on, I take on right away and go full bore. So I got my license within a month of meeting with him and he convinced me of this. And then uh, during that time, I actually met Logan Freeman, who, which I know you know. And he really kind of recruited me to the first brokerage place that he was at and I was at. And it's like, you know, he was really talking about, hey, look, I, I really like working with buyers. And oh, by the way, there's this thing called a 1031 exchange that is a powerful tool that buyers use to, you know, really expand their portfolio. And so I took that as like, man, I, that sounds great. How can we do this together? He's like, well, first thing is you got to come over to this brokerage <laughs> company. Um, and we'll see if there's a way that we can work together. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so I was working my W-2 job and uh, as a commercial broker, I'd go in early in the morning on the commercial brokerage side and learn the ropes. And then in the afternoons and, and weekends and close out a few transactions. And then the pandemic hit and thankfully I you know, lost my job, my W-2 job. So I was full bore into commercial real estate with Logan and you know, we really kind of hit the ground running with this 1031 exchange thing. Yeah, no, that's that's a great story. So I got so you're based out of Kansas City. When you were first buying your 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 investment properties, all those in Kansas City as well. I know you're kind yep. of like the expert in Kansas City. So everything you've done has been in Kansas City. You know, I, I love to hear that because you know, really your knowledge of that market is probably extensive, right? I mean, it's got to be vast yeah. and extensive. And especially when it comes down to a 1031 exchange, there's a lot of moving pieces. You need to know what you're doing, especially if you're doing something in your market. So love to hear that. Um, and, you know, being, you know, partner with Logan, that's, you know, obviously you guys are probably crushing it right now. Lo love to hear that. <laughs> you know, a lot, lot of energy there. Love to, love to hear that. So um, let's dive into it a little bit, man. Um, you know, this is the first time we talked about, uh, we're talking about 1031 on, on the show. And so I don't want to leave anybody behind. But give us a general overview of the 1031 exchange, how they work, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so a 1031 exchange is a federal tax code that allows a real estate investor to defer all their capital gains on a sale of a real estate investment by purchasing another real estate investment at equal or greater value. That's the simplest way to describe a, a, a 1031 exchange. It's a tax deferral strategy on one side. On the other side, it's also a real estate um, wealth building strategy. and But there's some ins and outs of the 1031 exchange rules that you got to know, right? So the first rule is you can sell any real estate investment property. Uh, if you're talking about your personal residence or you know vacation home or some of those kind of things, rules are a little bit different. But investment property, once you sell that property, you have 45 days to identify up to three properties. So you have a 45-day window from the moment that you're down leg, we call that when the property you're selling, your relinquished property, to identify these three properties. The other key date here is from the moment you sell that down leg property, you have six months to close out one or two or three of these properties you identified. If you don't follow those rules, you will be held responsible for the full tax burden of your 
uh, money that you're trying to, to save on. So typical gains are, you know, 20 to 40%, depending on your tax bracket. So um, it's an important tool that you've got to be, know your dates and times on it. The other key piece to this is, and there are some people that get mixed up on this, is that people try to or forget that a qualified intermediary must hold your funds at closing. Um, so you've got to have your qualified intermediary lined up before you close on your property. And if you need to, uh, highly recommend going in there and delaying your closing uh, so you can line up a qualified intermediary because otherwise you're, you know, there's no way around it. The IRS doesn't care at all about Christmas Day or New Year's Day or Chinese New Year or Hanukkah or any of those kind of things. It's all about, you know, that 45 day window. They don't care if you got cancer, your mom does. Um, so the, the, all the rules are hard and fast on timing, dates, and properties. Um, so those are the basics of a 1031 exchange, the rules of getting in there and getting out of it. Uh, and you know, it's, it's just a good tool to use, uh, anytime you're, you're looking to upgrade your investment portfolio. Yeah. I think that there's a lot there and I kind of want to take this two different ways. Uh, I'll start with, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the benefits being tax deferral. You know, something I noticed on your website was the headline, the unfair advantage of the 1031, right? That's uh, it's kind of, and it's a breakdown of basically, you know, the benefits or some of the reasons why investors should consider using a 1031 exchange. So is there anything else besides tax deferral? Like you said, maybe some wealth uh, building strategies that kind of fold into why investors should be considering this 1031 that you can kind of expand on? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best examples I have of this, I always learn by example. Um, and that is, if you have, let's say you have a house that's $500,000 or duplex or fourplex, let's say you got $500,000 tied up into that and it's worth a million bucks. Well, shoot, you're sitting there only owning two, you know, if you own a duplex or fourplex, two to four units. What if you took that $500,000 and that you have tied up in that property and leveraged all of that and put it into another real estate deal? It was worth $2 million. Mm. So you go from two units or four units up to maybe 20 units uh, without a ton of you know, real work other than, of course, finding the property. And, and there's, of course, risk with that. But that is something rather than doing a cash out refi, which is great, uh, you can also do that. But it's not going to allow you to scale nearly as quickly as doing that, especially if it's not your favorite property or if it's not something that you're going to hold long term or you inherited it uh, years ago, or whatever the case may be, that is a huge wealth building tool that people don't often think about um, because it is stressful, because it is, you know, something that, uh, you know, you, you go from a known property into an unknown property. Yep. Love to hear that, man. You brought up scalability. I know that a lot of investors are looking to scale up, right? And if they can find, you know, a tool or a strategy to really help with that, why not utilize that, right? And um, mm -hmm. so I do want to circle back to something, but one more question regarding kind of where we're at right now. You know, you mentioned you, you can, you know, take the proceeds from the sale and roll them into a, a property, scale up, right? A like-kind exchange. So, and I know you kind of touched on this a little before, but what qualifies uh, or basically like what kind of properties can we roll into? Is it anything? I mean, a commercial, whatever, say, say if I have some apartments, you know, and I'm selling some apartments, can I purchase an industrial property or maybe even a portfolio of short-term rentals? Are there any restrictions on what I can and can't buy with those proceeds? Great question. So there are no restrictions on what you can and can't buy as long as you are owning investment real estate. 
Okay. So you can sell your farmland that you inherited or that you currently own and exchange into apartments or commercial or dollar general buildings um, without any penalty or, or repercussions. Hotels, you know, we could go down the whole list of sure. real estate asset classes, but it's anything as long as you own it. You cannot exchange into stocks and bonds. Okay. So you can't take your property that you sell and then put that money into say a REIT that's in the stock market. Um, so that's a key important thing. You also can't take your, your funds from the stock market, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. funds you own in the stock market, you can't take that defer taxes and get into real estate. Um, it's gotta be from investment, real estate investment property to another real estate investment property. And it can be in and out of any state. You can do it from Iowa to Nebraska to you know staying in your home state or, Alaska, Hawaii, it doesn't matter. It's a federal tax code. Awesome. Love to hear that. Uh, so a lot of our listeners are, are passive investors. I'm a passive investor. I mean, a lot of active investors as well. But on the passive side, just for our passive listeners, say they have a property, they want to sell it. And can you can you move those funds from a 1031, say if you're going to use a 1031 strategy and a property you're selling to a passive investment into maybe like a syndication or something like that? Is that, is that allowed? Yeah. So th- it is allowed within a structure called a, a tick structure. So tenancy mm-hmm. in common structure where you, you know, you're not uh, a, going into a syndication, you're going into a joint ownership of real estate. And there is select few funds, so to speak, uh, that that allow, it's not a fund, but a select few groups, I should say, that allow these tick structures. Actually, FTW has some on occasion. Uh, I was just talking on, on Hunter Thompson's podcast about some of the options that are, that are there for those type of investors. And yet a lot of those guys have minimum investments, you know, minimum amount that you could actually exchange into and a maximum amount because they want to keep the number of owners to, you know, a select number. It's got to be a large property, that kind of thing. Uh, they're definitely harder to find. They're definitely, um, but they're, but when you do find them, they can be really good deals. And it's a lot of times relationship based when it gets to that point, but you can definitely tick into that. The other option you can do, which is similar in nature, I guess, when that's going into a DST and those are Delaware statutory trust. It's kind of the last resort. Your returns aren't very good. You're maybe three to 5%, maybe 6% uh, on your returns. For those, which uh, you know isn't great, but that's a last resort of I can't find anything, and oh my gosh, I'm going to identify this and close this out, and and uh, it's better than nothing, or at least better than paying Uncle Sam a bunch of money. So yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit. You know, these two structures, the tick and then the DSC. What do you see most commonly used for investors? I know it probably varies from you know um, investor to investor depending on the strategy and what they're trying to do. But what is a what is the, are those the two most common? And then out of those, do you see more, one more than the other used? Yeah. So as an active uh, real estate broker, we actually teach and coach people to not do the DSTs because your returns are a lot lower. And to be frank, we don't make any money on those. We have preferred partners that we actually work with on the seller side when we're reaching out to seller. Seller says, hey, look, I'm retiring. There's no way in heck I'm buying anything active. What are my options? Um, and so there are some DSTs funds that work for you know, truly retirement uh, type folks, which is really the only um, way I would recommend going the DST route. And then um, the tick structure Yes, we have partners, again, with that, that we recommend to work with. However, most of the folks that we work with really want to have some kind of 
active involvement in it, it's a pretty big leap uh, oftentimes. And like I said before, it's hard to find these tick structures sure. that are out there in a deal, especially when you talk about you're an active investor, you know exactly what you want, what you came out of. And now then you're going to go and give up full control or most of it to another yeah. uh, group. It's like, eh, I'd rather just take my chances on going into, let's say, from multifamily, which is labor intensive, to a commercial property, a triple net lease property. And that's what we help a lot of people do as well. Going from a you know, 10 unit apartment complex, maybe into a neighborhood retail shopping center, it's got a dollar general as an anchor tenant on it, um, to where maybe you have four tenants instead of 20 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And now I have four tenants. And oh, by the way, I'm not responsible for anything, including taxes, insurance. Um, because the the tenants pay for all that, you know that's an easier jump for people to understand because they still have full control over. It. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so there's what I'm learning. You know, in talking more about this 1031 and the different structures, and then the you know the the dates that you have to abide by. You know, you have to follow. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts here, man. And so, say an investor never done this before, they know very limited uh, amounts about you know the 1031. Uh, what's, you know, you guys provide this service, but, you know, say somebody's going to go look for somebody to provide them with a 1031, right? Somebody who can really like help them through, through this process, you know, what's the best way for them to find somebody, uh, who can do this for them and what kind of questions should they be asking to ensure that they're going to get the service that they're looking for really? Yeah, good question. So, um, the, the main points you're going to be looking at, you know, if you're looking for, going into active investing. So if you're going into Kansas City, of course, you can reach out to me. Sure. Uh, but if you're looking at other markets, you know, the, the big thing there is you've got to have your qualified intermediary and your CPA on the same, same team. And then beyond that, you have to find a buyer's agent that's willing to work for you. Because what happens a lot of times with investors, especially when they're coming in and out of state, is there's not, you know, a lot of brokers in the million dollar plus range that are actively helping buyers. Their main focus and their fiduciary responsibility is to the seller. Um, And so you've got to ask good questions about, hey, look, what do you have off market? What do you have on market? How many buyers have you represented in the past? Or how many deals like this have you represented in the past that are 1031 specific? Um, And if you can't find that, you got to be your own broker, so to speak, and go out there and cold call and and really do all your own work, which is uh, a lot of work and be very stressful. But uh, the key to it is having a qualified intermediary and a CPA that can at least nail down your timelines and your proceeds that you're going to get. That way, you know what's at stake. Um, and then, you know, finding a market that's going to be great for you, that's going to give you the passive or sorry, the, the uh, uh, returns that you need. And that can be also be a challenge. Yeah. So what do you see? So in terms of the 1031, when you're dealing with clients of yours who are going through a 1031, and maybe you've seen somebody else going through this process, where do you see the most challenges come up? Is it finding that property within the time limit? I mean, what are the biggest hurdles that somebody who's considering using a 1031 should really be aware of before they go into this process? Yeah. So uh, the biggest hurdle, of course, yes, that's finding that perfect replacement property. Everybody comes in with their pie in the sky goals, totally understand it. Um, But finding that replacement property is the biggest hurdle. Finding those three properties to identify uh, sometimes can be a challenge for the individual. But we really coach people to say, hey, look, um, I'm going to identify three properties uh, that maybe I'm not under contract on these or have offers on them, but I'm going to identify these three properties before my down leg closes. So before my relinquished property closes, I'm going to identify these three, get them to my qualified intermediary. So if anything happens to me, 
those are at least identified down on paper. Uh, that's step one. Step two then is to say, hey, look, my 45-day window is coming up. I'm not under contract or past due diligence. I'm behind the eight ball. However, I'm going to find something that I'm going to buy and close on. I'm committed to it because I don't want to pay taxes on this because, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, there's two things I can do. One is the IRS has no stipulation that says you cannot cash out and refinance uh, within a certain period of time. You can do that day one, day two. Now, of course, your lender may have different opinions on that, but you can do that. Uh, that's number one. Number two is buy a property because, again, you're deferring your capital gains. You can sell that property in a year uh, and start the process over. I know it could be mm. painful, but that painful short year, if you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars at risk or even $50,000 at risk, uh, a year is a short period of time to really kind of make up for them. I mean, that's what a lot of people make in a salary, right? So um, those are important aspects that I say that people kind of get caught up in. You know, they get into this point where they get principled, I call it, where they're like, hey, look, I'm not going to buy that property. That property is horrible for me after looking at it. And I have no desire of closing that thing out because that seller seems like a really mean person. And it's like, Okay, yeah, no, hey, look, that seller is a huge jerk, but you know what? It's better than paying taxes. So you got to kind of be, um, take, you know, throw your principles out the window for a second and look at your, your actual personal self because you're never going to see that seller again or talk to him again. Who cares about them? You got to be selfish in that moment. Um, so those are just a lot of the mistakes that people make or, or tend to uh, lean on when they're getting down to crunch time. Well, I appreciate you dive into that level of detail because really that's so important, right? For somebody who's considering using this type of strategy. And like you said, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're basically able to defer these capital gains taxes on these properties you're selling. That's massive in terms of building wealth, scaling, all that kind of stuff. So I think this is really a, a tool that maybe I don't hear enough about from other investors that they're using that really could help with, uh, you know, build their portfolio and help with, you know, like you said, exactly uh, deferring uh, capital gains tax. So love to hear that, man. Honestly, I think we could probably go on for another hour talking about this, man. Got <laughs> to be respectful of your time. I got a ton of questions, probably uh, hit you with some of those after we stop recording as well. But before we get out of here, tell, <laughs> sure. us, tell us more about what you have going on. Uh, I know you got a YouTube channel, anything else you guys go you got going on, tell us about it and uh, where we yep. can, uh, where our listeners can reach out and find you. Yeah, so I've got a, a weekly YouTube uh, video I do, which talks about everything on market in Kansas City. I also do a sub-market overview of each sub-market of Kansas City. Uh, and then we also have, a, I'm all over LinkedIn. You know, you, you'll find me, you know, hanging out there, posting on cool Kansas City things with over 9,000 followers right now. So um, we're pretty excited about that. And of course, our website's a great place to find out some deferred information. We have an off-market marketplace. So it's members only. It doesn't cost anything. Where anybody can go in there and sign up, have a quick conversation with me, and you can see all my available deals where we're direct to seller on it. Uh, so that's a pretty cool tool to use in your, in your tool belt. Cool. Hit us with the name of that YouTube channel quick and then your website and all that stuff. Yeah. So the YouTube channel should be Exchange CRE. Um, and then the LinkedIn is, of course, uh, you know, my name. Uh, and then also for the website, it's exchangecre.com. And you click on the marketplace and you'll be all set. Awesome, man. We're going to make sure to put that stuff in the show notes. Like we were talking about before, Kansas City's hot market right now, great market to be, to be investing in. And if you're going to be doing it with anybody, uh, check out Alex. He's got some good stuff going on there. So Alex, man, 
been great having you on the show. Love learning about 1031. Can't wait to dive into it more. Uh, you know, we'll probably have to have you back on the show to dive into some other topics about it. So uh, thanks Love again to. for taking thanks again for taking the time today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.